I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. I'm here with Steve, and I'm here with Paul. And it's been a busy and a fun week in the stock market and outside the stock market as well. Uh, we've got a lot to get through this time. We've got some quick news to start off with, and then we've got earnings from Netflix and earnings from ASML. And then the story that just keeps on giving, which is Elon Musk's attempts at buying Twitter. Uh, I said it's been a fun week. Um, I've been stepping up my internet security, uh, by which I mean I've hired someone like Paul to look after my internet. Uh, you look very much like you're in the security business there, Paul. How are you? Yes, uh, bounce to Briscoe today, coming from work. So uh, I'm just keeping it quiet to the minute. Um, I might have to run, but um, this week, uh, in fact, today. So today we're recording this on Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. Um, today has been an incredible day in the stock market. I think I'm over 51,000 now, which is uh, my portfolio has gone ridiculous today. Uh, all helped by a couple of things that happened in the market today. Um, we'll probably get into that later, but I am very, very happy. Cool. It's been a bit, been a bit of a crazy day, hasn't it? Uh, I've had the same sort of. Um... Same sort of day. My Blitzscaler's portfolio is up 5.4% and my ISA is up 3.5%. So uh, on a day when the uh, I was looking, the S&P's not doing anywhere near that. S&P's doing 0.67, NASDAQ's doing 1.65. Um, it's looking pretty good to me, Steve. I guess you're seeing similar things. Similar things, but I've been seeing them over a few days from what I can tell for the moment. It feels like yeah, today is the day that my portfolio crossed 50,000 uh, for the first time this time. Uh, from from below, by the way, not from above. Um, but it's getting to the point now where a lot of the stocks that I own, I'm going to have to start thinking in a week or so when I get paid about what I actually want to buy. I can't just sort of sit there and quietly lump it into stuff that's way below where I bought it before. Uh, it's actually getting to the point where I need to start rethinking things a little bit. Anyone else having that feeling? Yeah, definitely. It's it's getting a bit harder to pick what you think is undervalued, as it were, or less valued. And in some cases, I must admit, what I've been doing is taking some of the companies that have been going over my portfolio allocation and kind of dropping them into others. Um, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a bit of a weird one. You know, the mortgage rates uh, came. Uh, sorry, the new mortgages came in under what we expected today. I thought that was going to hit Lenar quite heavily, but it didn't. Uh, it actually went up, and uh, that's led me to have to take a take a little chop off the top of Lenar, put it into put a bit more into Amazon. You know, Amazon's probably fifteen percent up for me right now, and uh, I need to learn to keep adding, even though these stocks are going up. It's it's getting a bit more complicated, and I don't like it. it we need to keep this simple, I think. Um, uh, not ETF level simple because, of course, I think all three of us today seem to have beaten the ETF. How long that'll last, I don't know. Steve, how about you? Anything interesting to buy? Uh, well, I, I'm looking, I guess, in the fact that some of my stocks are up 
100% from their bottoms and they're still 70% away from uh, where I need them to be to be green. Hello, Teladoc. Nice to meet you. Um, but I'm actually building three new positions as well. So I've, I'm uh, in the process of building a position in Adidas, which I think I spoke of the other week. I've started a position in that. I think that's a really interesting company. I've still not fully built my position in Kering. Um, so I'm only about halfway to building that. And I have recently, as of yesterday, started building a positioning Boeing. So, um, yeah, I've gone, I've gone plainy. And, uh, yeah, I was just looking over, looking over what Boeing's trading at at the moment. I was just trying to find a year where they went, trying to crash the planes into mountains. And, and I just thought, hey, if they can get back to this kind of area, Boeing at this kind of price is, is pretty attractive. I think the, the vast majority of their woes have now um, are now behind them, and you know I think if you're looking for a company, you know in the aviation space that's going to be as a lot of laser focused on that safety, it's going to be Boeing. Uh, they're going to have heavy regulation. They've got a lot of scrutiny. They've got a little bit more debt than when they started, but uh, you know Boeing will generate the sort of cash that will will be able to. To pay that, and I just don't have a stock in this space, uh, and Boeing was the one that I went for. A little bit, yeah. Like, there. isn't mm-hmm. it the most indebted company in the world? I've got a feeling that it is. It's the- I couldn't. I could. I think most of the most of the stocks in the uh, eurozone have uh, uh, probably got a little bit more debt than that. But I don't know. We could check that and come back to yeah. it. But I know I think VW is pretty high. VW is like second highest. I thought Boeing was number one, and then obviously AT and T and the Verizon the next. What I was going to ask you about Adidas was, um, did you see the Rick and Morty advert, advert that Adidas did with them, which was incredible? Um, Mo Salah no, giving, seen it. giving Morty loads of powers to kick a football or something. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on, <laughs> but I just thought you might have seen <laughs> that one. Very interesting that they would no. make that. It's all the release of some boot. But anyway, um, let's get on to... Should we get straight on to earnings? Let's talk about the... Uh, he's dying to talk about Netflix. Go on, talk about Netflix. All right. Uh, so for people who don't want to hear about Netflix, you may as well end the podcast now because I think I've got about 55 minutes. Um, I guess the headline, um, you know, was that they'd lost a million subscribers. Uh, and, and in general, that would be bad. Uh, but they'd guided to lose uh, 2 million. So I guess it's somewhat positive. Um, I did say a week or so ago, or two weeks ago, that Netflix are perennial sandbaggers when it comes to their earnings, and uh, that we should expect that they would have done this. And um, yeah, it was nice to be right for the first time this year. Um, so revenue was a slight miss. It was $7.97 billion. Uh, expected was $8.04 billion. Uh, this would have been a large beat uh, if the dollar wasn't so strong. Um if we were talking constant currency, they would have added uh, an extra three hundred and fifty million to that revenue, so uh, it would have been eight point two. So, uh, well, eight point three, eight point three five. Um, EPS was an absolute slam dunk, three dollars twenty versus two ninety four expected, which again is impressive given the strong dollar. Uh, it would have been higher. Uh, there was one hundred and fifty million of impairments due to some severance costs. Uh, they give a really, really attractive package when they um, when they let staff go and. Um, there was an early ending of some uh, office leases. They call it, uh, called it a, a right-sizing of their footprint, which was quite interesting. Content spend, Paul, I know you like this one, $17.9 billion. That was flat year on year, uh, which is good to see. Analysts have been wondering when content spend uh, flattens out, and it turns out that it was 2022. Um, 
revenue, uh, sorry, annual revenues per average sub is up to its all-time highs. Uh, it's nice to see that. It has been con- pretty much continuously growing uh, ever since Netflix's inception, and it, and it continues to do so. Uh, guidance-wise, it looked a little bit soft. Uh, analysts were hoping that next uh, Netflix would add 1.8 million uh, new subs. They've only guided for one. Um, they've guided for 7.87 billion of revenue. Analysts wanted 8.06. Uh, so this implies revenue growth of only about 5% or 12% if we were in constant currency year over year. Uh, EPS, uh, 214. Analysts wanted 271. Uh, remember, though, that Netflix are sandbaggers and the strength of the dollar uh, may persist. It may not. Um, 60% of Netflix's revenue comes from outside of the US. So obviously the rising dollar will, will weaken this somewhat. Uh, they're guiding for a billion in free cash flow uh, in this financial yeah. year, and that was double what Wall Street expected. Um, so, on to content. Uh, it, it was a cracking report in terms of oh, content. No, no, no. So, Let's um, just break it up a little bit. Let's first, got to pay you dues. Last week, you called this, right? You called this sandbag massively. Uh, I was... I was sceptical. I thought you had a great idea, but when it's coming uh, a million less subscribers than they, ex- than they told everyone about, you knew that, and uh, did you make any money off the off Netflix going into this, or did you not have the balls to back it up? I have Netflix would be my biggest position if it wasn't down so much. Um, I've got about six k in at the moment, and it's about it's still about twenty five percent down. So uh, yeah, I've uh, I've been buying Netflix all the way down. I, I I honestly, and I'll get onto this later. I I don't think Netflix is in any trouble whatsoever, and I think anybody trying to tell you that it is is pushing a false narrative. And I sort of said that a few times on the Discord yesterday. There's a lot of people who can you can pull out segments of this report, and in isolation, they sound awful. But the truth of the matter is, is that when you put people's bills up, you get churn. Uh, and Netflix is experiencing 1% churn uh, after putting up people's bills by 10%. Now, you just do the maths on that pretty quickly. Uh, you know, if you could do that forever, putting up people's bills 10% and taking 1% churn, you'd take that. Um, you'd take that for a while. Um, and, and, you know, that's what Netflix is, is prepared to do. But, yeah, I, I called it. It was a guess. Look, I, I, can't, I can't give myself any credit. It, it was just a guess. Every time I've ever looked at Netflix's earnings, there's only once that they've... Um, They've they've overpromised and underdelivered, and that was the quarter before. Every other quarter, they've been complete sandbaggers because they like to underpromise and overdeliver. And uh, I just thought, you know, on the reverse, that's probably what we would experience here. So, a question then, Steve, about this. I'm trying to work out whether I view these subscriber numbers positively or negatively because, okay, I'm not gonna just base it off the numbers they gave before because I I take you at your word for thinking that they're um, they're going to report lower than they're likely to produce here. And uh, that's happened, right? So in theory, that's a good thing, but I'm not quite sure what I was expecting anyway, which makes me not sure whether I was supposed to be surprised positively or negatively uh, by this, basically. The other thing I noticed is I had a little look at where these subscribers are coming and going from. They lost about 2 million out of the US, Canada and Europe and got back a million from Asia Pacific. Latin America is about flat. Uh, Subscribers pay more in those first two places than they do in that second one, on average. I think the average for... I've written this down wrong slightly, but the average for US Canada is about $15. The average for Asia Pacific is about eight and a bit. Um, I I sort of have this nagging worry that they're replacing higher value subs with lower value subs. 
Potentially, but you've got to remember, ad supported comes into those areas is going to boost that ARPU up. Yeah, uh, more on that anyway moment, when sure. that comes in. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I get that point. Um, I mean, it, one of the places you will look at ARPU discrepancies is just looking at Pinterest's report. We've, we've noted quite a lot of times that in America uh, they get far, far, far more revenue than even even in Europe, and, and never mind countries beyond that. So net, Netflix has the same problem. But you just you know you're talking about markets that they're just teetering into versus markets that they've been in for a really long time. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, temporarily they might be replacing uh, good with average, but uh, you know, average has uh, a way of becoming good in these markets. Yeah, the um, it, it goes to show a lot for you. I do still think the other companies have a lot more to grow into this, but I think I agree with you. Netflix doesn't really have a problem, and I think the rest of the companies that are entering this space or at least trying to compete in this space now do have to rely on the on the productivity of Netflix, and, and I totally get that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll shuffle on then. So so content wise, it was it was a cracking uh, review. I think we all know about how well Stranger Things has done. It's done uh, a few billion hours of uh, of watch content, but there was other stuff in there as well. So they said that season three of Umbrella Academy has done two hundred eighty four million hours at the moment, and that's pretty much new out. Uh, the Lincoln Lawyer legal drama has done 277 million hours. Uh, Heartstopper, 67 million hours. Selling Sunset, 95 million. Ultimatum, 148 million hours. Even going through to things like Flow, uh, Rhythm Flow, Rhythm and Flow in France, which was a rap competition show that they did. It was a it was a massive success and the winner of the first season has gone on to have a number one across all streaming platforms in France. So they're calling it the Netflix Effect. Uh, they even made good progress in film. I think uh, if you watch the basketball drama, um, Adam Sandler's Hustle, it reviewed pretty well, and it's done 186 million hours as well. So um, it's nice to see Netflix make a good film because they don't make an awful lot of them. Um, so they announced that uh, in the end, report that Nielsen's going to release some new numbers today. Uh, sorry, on Thursday, that showed Netflix has reached an all-time high in the United States. Its market share is now at 7.7%. It's the largest uh, both streaming and non-streaming platform in the US. Uh, so it's beating uh, cable TV now, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Um, do you guys want to come? Do you want to chime in on that? Have you got anything for that? Yeah, or? for me on Stranger Things, um, one of the things I was reading is this is partly responsible for helping their churn, not just because it's a very good show that I have not seen, but because they apparently usually release things in terms of a massive block and let you binge watch them and then run away. This time they kind of dropped it out bit by bit, I think, which perhaps helped people hang on over the quarter or something like that, so they keep their Netflix subscription or or, or keep using whoever's Netflix subscription they're using in my case, uh, so they can see the next episode. I haven't actually watched Stranger Things, but that. That seemed to me like quite a clever move to try and hold back churn. I yeah, don't know how effective it actually was. You have to continue to drip feed it in week by week. Every <laughs> other service is doing that at the moment. Um, I, I'm still a little bit. I know that I know Netflix is number one. I'm still a bit concerned by the competition. I was reading articles. I was reading a lot of Vox Pops today saying, you know, Netflix doesn't have the same quality of content that everybody else has. I know that Emmys are obviously good proof that Netflix does have continuously good content. Me personally, I'm just talking from an anecdotal level, I'm doing everything I can to get rid of Netflix. But for some reason, the kids just have, they, they really like some of the odd little Netflix shows that come out. Um, there's one called Chip and Potato. It's like about this uh, kid who's a pug who goes through loads of dramas in life. And it's actually 
actually quite emotive for kids. So it's quite a good one for your kids to still have. My 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 kid's favorite though is Spidey and his amazing friend, which is on Disney Plus. So I have to keep them both at the moment, which is really annoying. So I've got to tease them away from something. And personally, from an anecdotal level, I would be trying to go stay with Disney Plus, I think. But uh, do you think Netflix needs to continue getting making some hitters? And do you, do you think it's gonna do you think it's gonna do that? I think uh, look, I've never I've never thought this was an issue. I've never understood why we need a supremacy when it comes to streaming. People are used to paying seventy quid for cable, and none of these things are seventy. You can have them all and still pay less. So there's no reason not to you know to 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 worry about competition in in that regard. I think everything has its has its merits. Netflix in this case is going for more localization, which is interesting because HBO is. You know, you have to want to consume US TV if you want HBO. It doesn't show you anything else other than other than US TV. Whereas Netflix is saying, like, look, we're in India. India will want to consume some US TV, but it won't want to consume that solely. So we have to localize our content. We have to localize and make things like Squid Game, which ended up being an an, an international success. But and and you'll get those little things, and that's the difference between the Netflix approach and yeah. and and. Yeah. And its competition. That's how it's differentiating itself, and that's how it's it's building its its moat, if you want, against against these other other companies. The the fact is is that HBO doesn't have the money to localize content into different regions. Uh, unfortunately, it has some fantastic shows, but it's for people who want to watch US TV who aren't in the US. Yeah, I was also reading about the the value that Netflix has. The um, as in its price point right now, its price point is set at like fourteen ninety nine. I think it is here in the UK. But it's it's hmm. definitely the most expensive out there of all the streaming services. That's not because it's expensive though, and it's struggling to pay for anything. It appears that it's because all the others are ridiculously cheap and working at a loss. This means that maybe in two or three years, Netflix will still stay the same price, and the other companies will be starting to raise their price into the, uh, Netflix's value, which makes Netflix much more valuable than the others from a pricing point right now. Um, do you have any more information on that, or is that kind of where it's at? Well, the information's there to be seen in all the competition's uh, financial reports. All you can see is uh, either debt taken on to pay for content, or you can see cash flow uh, severely reducing in, in, say, Disney's case. Uh, yes, they're doing quite a big park refit as well at the moment, but they're spending a hell of a lot of money on content. And the problem with that at the moment is, is that the content that they're spending on primarily is Star Wars 1, Marvel too, and everybody seems to be getting a little bit of Marvel fatigue at the moment. I don't know whether you've seen the, the reviews for Thor and the the uh, the one they released before it, and even Spider Man to a degree, all got uh, sort of middling reviews for for Marvel kind of thing, uh, and that's a massive problem for Disney because that's been their cash cow, and uh, at the moment it's looking a bit I've skinny. I've had Marvel fatigue for about ten years now. I'm fed up with the same same video over and over again, basically. That's all it is. Oh, explosion! Mm. A different superpower. Um, we're done. Great. Get over to Amazon and watch the boys. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I I forgot this. This is a time in the quarter where we all say what we're watching on Netflix. I should have written mine down before I came <laughs> on. I've been watching a thing called Baking Impossible, um, which is sort of like <laughs> Is It Cake, um, and it's sort of also like nailed it. Uh, it's, it's another terrible show that I can't really blame on my child because he doesn't watch it. 
But uh, I've been watching that and it's awful and I can't stop watching it, to be honest. So on the hits thing, I sort of feel like Netflix has this capacity to maybe keep doing them. On more serious kind of uh, subject here, a couple of things in the report that jumped out at me is that I think they said they're now at something like 60% originals now rather than stuff they've second licensed yep. in, which indicates that they also think they're kind of past the halfway point in building out their library and they're seeing uh, this kind of ratio, which I wrote down and wasn't entirely sure I'd got the hang of. Um, which is something like their cash invested in content over their uh, amortization they get back from cash invested in content. Blah, blah, numbers getting smaller, basically, um, which indicates mm -hmm. that they are kind of getting more out of what they have rather than putting more in. Uh, at least I take it that's what that's supposed to be showing me. I'm very tentative around my understanding yeah. on that one for what it's worth. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of positive for them content-wise. I keep thinking they can't do it, and they seem to keep finding a way at the moment. Is so I, I guess I can see room for optimism there. There was also, um, I don't know whether you guys saw this week, but if you get the Netflix app on your phone, um, you can also get access to Netflix Gaming now, providing you've got the, yeah. um, the subscription. And one of the studios they've bought uh, has a game called Into the Breach, and it's getting really, really uh, good reviews. I've played it before on the switch it's a bit of a strategy kind of game it's fantastic it's a really nice little addition to their service that you get completely free included with your your netflix i'm gonna go on that right after um, this. but I'll, I'll, I'll i never knew about that never go knew. for it I'll, I'll i'll quickly scrub on because i've still got a little bit to get through but um look so there's a wider rollout of two of the new revenue streams were coming uh an ad supported tier and uh, they've said will now be available in 2023 i know a lot of people were worried about this um but they have said that it's going to be a completely separate tier the paid tiers will not be getting adverts it won't be ad and paid it'll just be you know a new cheaper tier that has you know some kind of ad supporting that goes with it this is key for countries where um where you know you can't charge a lot for instance in india the average subscription price is a couple of dollars uh if you can make up three four five dollars on top of that with adverts that'd be fantastic uh, they've announced that the, the the deal they're doing to get the ads has been with Microsoft, which is a bit of a shock to everybody, uh, a bit of a shock to Paul as well, because he thought Xander was still with AT&T. I thought he was with Needham analyst Laura Martin, uh, she said that she believes the only reason that um, Netflix have gone with Microsoft is that they are looking for an exit. Steve, you've highlighted this. Have you got a quick yeah, thought I on this? Yeah, I think it's false. Um, I don't for the life of me think Netflix is doing this. I see them as the biggest player in this space at the moment, and they've done extremely well historically. I would be amazed if Netflix are looking for an exit here. That's Absolutely. not what I wrote, but that's what I'm prepared to say. Absolutely not. That's that's not what's happened. So they're, they're thinking that, Microsoft's going to do an Activision and, and buy it eventually. I just don't think that's going to happen. It's just absolutely insane, isn't it? No. But, that was the word she used. She said she called it doing yeah, an Activision. But it, um, it's more likely that we're heading into a high inflation environment where things are getting more expensive and Netflix usually does things in-house. Maybe this bit of it, uh, they've got something already pre-made with Microsoft. It's non-competitive. It just seems like a really good deal and probably a cheaper way for now at least to um, to to do this whole ad streaming thing. Maybe it would be the reverse of that and Netflix eventually just goes and buys Xander because Xander keeps getting passed around like a freaking hot potato. In the well, I was interested in this because uh, famously uh, Netflix use AWS. Uh, that's that's who their, their whole system is built off. And I wondered if maybe Microsoft was giving that's, them a deal on Xander to move over to Azure. Uh, that could be an interesting thing. 
Um, but I did have a look at Xander's tech, and they're actually using it at the moment in the Xbox store. It's really interesting. It's like low intrusion in uh, in entertainment advertising. So it's kind of the sort of thing you were hoping Netflix would adopt rather than something really obtuse like uh, YouTube. Um, you know, 15 adverts before you get to watch what you want kind of thing. Um but there goes out. There goes. There goes our chances of being monetized. Um, we all own shares in YouTube. Why do you keep doing this? <laughs> I just had a thought. So, um, so obviously uh, Netflix uses AWS, and now they use. They're going to use Xander. And the idea is there. With what you've been saying is that um, Xander and Azure will work together in some way better. It'll be faster, cleaner, that sort of thing. And those two have a lot more synergy because we're within the same company. So I can imagine there's going to be one day where the contract for, uh, rolls over from AWS to, uh, to to Microsoft, and you've got this poor Netflix employee who's just got to go copy, paste all the way over to Azure, and then wait for like four <laughs> million years while there's the data from Netflix library converts <laughs> over, over to Azure. So, oh, that's going to be a good job. Just sitting there. <laughs> I just I don't even know how no. that would work. Uh, I would need somebody a hell of a lot smarter than me to even like begin to help me it's understand how that would crazy, work. Yeah. It is pretty crazy. Now, how would you how would you like move over that much data? You'd probably just go pick up the physical data center and put it like put it over. In the <laughs> Take the hard drive. Wow. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know where to begin with. That. Right, so um, the second part of it anyway was that shared accounts are definitely coming. Uh, Netflix said that they were testing ways of handling this uh, in Latin America at the moment. The reports from the area have hinted that you'll be able to add like a new household to your plan. So I guess they're using some kind of like I quick IP scan to make sure that you are in the same house as each other. Um, at the moment, it looks like it's going to be, I mean, when you when you adjust the currency back, about two ninety nine per additional household. So I think that's pretty good. Um but I, I think that seems too cheap to me. I would expect it to come through uh, with a little bit more. But adding ad-supported and shared accounts together, I mean, it's pretty easy to me to see where the next leg of yeah. Netflix growth is going to come from. It's just about monetizing what it's already right got. you're right there. I think I'm kind of interested in the ad-supported tier, and I'm trying to work out how it sort of fits into this picture, because Netflix has been slow to go for what seems to be, to me, a fairly obvious uh, thing to have, which is a, a lowish cost thing that drives you some ad revenue. I'm kind of... I can see a few kind of questions I have about it, even though I instinctively think it's a great idea. So one is whether it's going to be any good. So all three of us, and especially I think Paul and me, have both said the Spotify ad-supported tier is painfully bad. I mean, it's really hard to stay on that tier. I've, it's I've actually a great incentive to get you to pay the damn thing. I've got another one now. I watch Taskmaster on all four, and they play three mm -hmm. uh, five-minute adverts throughout the whole thing. It's, so you're watching 15 minutes of adverts for probably a 40-minute show. It's painful. It's made, it's made me stop watching it, even though it's a great and funny show. Um, yeah, I, I don't like it. Mm. So I guess my wonder with Netflix is whether their ad-supported tier is going to be kind of discouragingly bad to try and push people onto the higher-paid tiers. Um, and I can't work out whether I think it should be or not, right? So there's a reason for thinking it should be in the sense that you will bump people up into your kind of higher paid tier. There's a reason for thinking, I guess, it won't be in that you need people in that tier to attract advertising dollars, presumably, um, because what will really drive the advertising revenue is having a bunch of people on this um, advertising tier that people can reach. Uh, so you need to kind of make it in such a way that it's got enough people in it, I guess, to, to be worth it to advertisers. And it strikes me there's a balance there to be struck in a certain way. I don't know how, how big of a margin they have to aim into there for getting enough people 
Um, but still, and they definitely don't want to lose people downwards from what I can see of it. Oh, sorry, not definitely. They probably don't want to lose people downwards. They don't want their paid subscribers going, now nah, sod it, I'll take the adverts, unless there's going to be massive ad revenue to compensate for that. Will there be? I don't know. So I'm just struggling to fit all these bits together in my head for the picture and what's kind of really going to push revenues along for Netflix here. Yeah, I think, sorry, I'm I would, sorry to get there. He's probably got something way more uh, insightful to say, but... I think this is a brand issue. I think by adver- um, Netflix bringing on advertising into into its lowest tier, that hurts Netflix brand. It's now no longer that luxury brand. I used to see it was a very, very luxury brand that you paid for. So I think, the, I personally think, I don't know if Steve D has a different uh, idea on this. He probably has. But I think this is a first class and coach kind of style thing that needs to happen. I think the upper tier of Netflix has to be so much better than the lower tier. So I don't think it can just be an advertising model and then not an advertising model. I think it needs to be a horrible, just getting by kind of advertising model, which will attract probably most of the customers. But then that top one needs to be really luxury. I think it needs to be really expensive as well. I think they can get away with that. And uh, I think it has to be the difference between Emirates uh, first class and Emirates economy, basically. That's that's how I see it. And I think that, I, to me, that's the only way this can go. This should go. So I go two ways on this. I think um, the the best method that I would see would be to be accommodating with this tier in, in the same way that YouTube was when it essentially started, where you had like a banner ad or something like that. And then it slowly was one video ad, and then it was two and at the beginning, and then one in the middle and yeah. one at the beginning. And I think that's probably the way that they'll go, almost like frog boil, frog boil people to accepting more advertisements. The flip side of that is a problem that Steve highlights where people think, well, well if it's just one advert, I'll, I'll, I can suffer that you know, before I watch Stranger Things. So it's a really delicate balance, isn't it? Um, I, I, I trust Netflix to get it right. Um, is is basically what I say. The reason I invest in them is because I think they've got a fantastic management team who have seen problems and managed them before. And I think this is just another another thing for them. Shall I finish? That's I've got great. one last point. Uh, so this snooking that they're acquiring Animal Logic, Paul. So more things for you to keep your Netflix subscription. Uh, these are the people behind the Lego movies, and they did Peter Rabbit one and two, and have credit on Captain Marvel. Lego. So, there you go, Paul. Those your Lego Netflix subscription really will stay good, forever. Right. Tell me, tell me, Paul. <laughs> tell me, I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. They, they were really good. Lego. They, they, they did the, the Ninja Girl yeah, ones as well. The, yeah, they, they were the good I ones. I noticed that all the series are really quite poor in comparison as far as like polishing goes but the lego movies have been incredible haven't they lego batman was funny they've got great writers in for it so yeah there's, there's something there right that sounds good uh, yeah so, that was netflix uh, what should we do next let's just do our little let's just get this out of the way get elon out of the way just do a quick chatter on it and then we'll uh and then we'll finish all over asml i think unless there's something else we need to talk about. <laughs> but uh, Elon, okay, so what's it, what's been happening? Anyone want to discuss it uh, first and go ahead and just talk about what's happened? So Elon has, uh, for the first time in at least 10 relationships, pulled out. And uh, of the... Oh, sorry, Steve. <laughs> of the... T- 
of the Twitter deal. Um, unfortunately for him, uh, he appears to have signed a binding agreement to buy Twitter. And uh, the only way out of it would be for him to realistically prove that two things, really, that Twitter are withholding data, which Twitter say they're not withholding data. They've given him everything that they could possibly give him. And the second thing is to prove that... Um, um, the Twitter's SEC filings are materially false, and by materially, that that can't be that Elon comes back and says, "Well, the bots were at seven and a half percent, and he said five, because technically that would mean that Twitter are generating more ARPU per user, uh, so that wouldn't be materially um, bad for for Elon." So, just to let you know, at this stage of the deal, from what I understand, there has only ever been one breakup in which the judge has not charged one of the parties with a fee. Uh, and that was a pharmaceutical company um, whose, uh, I think the drug got cancelled or the, the drug, the drug, anyway, the drug didn't make it through the FDA testing. So it was materially different business at that point. Uh, Twitter and Elon, uh, this, this, well, like Elon generally is, I think everything he does it has a kind of traveling shit show that follows behind it. And, and this is kind of how I feel about this. I mean, uh, just if people want to, proper coverage on it not just us covering it patrick boyle is doing really really good coverage on it and his dry straight-eyed humor is yeah. is brilliant he basically tries to make all that elon elon musk invented the electric toothbrush at one point in it, and it's very good <laughs> he called that right at the start as well about that video you about. yeah that was like did, day yeah. one he just went this is a sack of crap um it still is and i i i, I fear for I, I fear for Tesla, but I also probably in the same way kind of want this to happen for Tesla because I want Tesla shares, but I want them at a really, really good price. And I feel like this is the 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 key to it. And I don't think one Tesla uh, shareholders have realized this. And also, I don't think the Tesla shield boys have realized this. They are still pumping that wagon. And the ones at the top, the ones that I can... You know, the ones that I respect, as in the ones I think that really know what they're talking about, have gone extremely quiet because I think they've done the DV on this and they realise that, first of all, Elon Musk has to go into court and he has to come up with a number. That was the, that's the most important thing. We talk about him uh, creating meaningful uh, differences. He, he, like you say, you can't just say the bots were higher and, like, you know, the ARPU was different. He has to physically be able to calculate a number that is different from what Twitter gave him, as in a, a real physical amount amount of money that, mm. that they gave him for him to prove that this deal was off and in genuine and he didn't really know what it did, even though he signed away due diligence as well, which is how, how stupid can you be? I think Twitter has played this absolutely right. And I think now Tesla shareholders are in a real iffy position because number one, it, he could be forced to buy it for $54.20 a share. If he is forced to do that and he goes ahead with that, he's, as far as I know, and I've read a few things, he's lost his funding. The original backers that were there to, to, buy, to help him buy this are not there anymore. So if he is forced to buy Twitter uh, in whichever way he's forced to, uh, to do it, whether he's given a low ball offer by the court and, in, in, a, in an attempt to get him to buy it anyway, uh, he's got to find that money. And the one way he does that is uh, by selling Tesla stock. So that's number one. He buys it all for 54, uh, 45 billion or whatever it is. 
The second one is he's charged the difference between the, the price it was when he said, or the, the difference between the price of $54.20 and the price it is now, which is around 40 odd dollars at the moment. That's about 20 billion. So it could be that he is given uh, a fine of 20 billion. Again, he's probably got about 8 billion in cash that we know of, and the rest has to come from, guess what, uh, Tesla shareholders. So no matter what, unless this fine is under 8 billion or around 10 billion, Tesla shareholders in, are in trouble because a sell-off like that will cause a lot of margin calls. It will cause a lot of people to get scared. And that's what I'd be worried about right now if I was a Tesla shareholder. Um, who knows what's going to happen, but I'm leaning towards he's going to get forced to buy this or a settlement, most importantly. I would lean settlement in my case. Uh, just as a pure speculative punt here, by the way, just for anyone interested, we are recording this, what, about 30 minutes before Tesla releases earnings? Is that this evening? Yeah. Uh, so this stock could be anywhere by Sunday. Um, we might come back to this even at some point, but um, I would go with the idea that Elon Musk, one way or another, is going to find a way to not buy Twitter. Um, and I don't know how much that's going to cost him and so on. Uh, and here's my kind of wild, bold prediction and stuff, because Steve's got one right this year, and that means he's one nil up on me. Because uh, I checked back on my predictions from the start of the year, and they are horrible. Uh, there's two of them that have zero chance of coming off and one of them that hasn't really done anything either way because he made me think of an acquisition target and I couldn't really think of one so I just picked a company but um, here's my bold prediction then for the moment Elon Musk does not buy Twitter uh, one way or another and somehow settles something some way uh, he then tells us this is because Twitter is full of bots uh, whether or not that's true I'm taking no view for the time being or the bot numbers are higher than he said they were uh, and then he launches his own social media Twitter-like platform thingy, like everyone else seems to be doing at the moment, with stuff like Parler and whatnot, which is an actual free speech platform, according to him. A sort of um, uh, signal-type thing, which I know isn't owned by Elon Musk, but is recommended by Elon Musk. Uh, I think that within the next 12 months or so, we see the, the start or the announcement of the Elon Musk Twitter platform-alike uh, thing. Uh, that's where I see this going. I don't really have anything to back this up. I'm convinced, by the way, there is no point in me doing research into Elon Musk stories because directly I see Elon Musk in the news either saying or doing something. My immediate reaction is, what are you trying to distract me from somewhere else? Yeah. Um, and that might be a bit unfair and it might be a bit cynical, but it is very much how I think about Elon Musk related things. Can I just say, I do remember, I don't know if it was before you bought shares in uh, Tyson Foods. I, I, I'm trying to remember when, when it actually happened, but Tyson Foods tried to buy a company called IBP, and uh, they were a meat packing company or a meat or, or a meat processing company, know. anyway. Um, irrelevant. At the time, Tyson Foods found that they had accounting irregularities um, in their paperwork, and obviously filed to um, call off the merger. It was a four... Four billion merger or five billion merger at times, so a big merger uh, of sorts. And the Delaware court actually found that the account, yes, they did have accounting irregularities, but they weren't severe enough to actually be detrimental to, you know, the overall company when it was formed. So I actually forced Tyson Foods to buy it uh, at the price that it was originally agreed. So I think if that doesn't show you what the burden of proof is like. Yeah. Uh, in these kind of uh, in these kind of deals, and and what the what the rulings tend to be like. I mean, if you're even mm. doing a little bit of fraud, uh, you still have to get bought. I think 
I think Musk's in a whole hell of trouble. I think he's impulsively got himself into a ridiculous situation, offering a ridiculous price for a ridiculous company. And uh, I just think we're we're just set for, well, look, personally, I hope it gets forced through just to stop people doing stupid stuff like this. I hope he has to <laughs> pay the full whack for it and the Twitter shareholders are really happy. And that would make and, me and happy let's too. Just, um, let's just talk a little bit more about the term forced because I, I thought to myself, what the hell, like, how, how the hell can they, can they force him to do this? Because I thought there might be some sort of thing where the Delaware court just say, well, how about you just, here's a fine of 30 billion, and then he has to kind of do the calculation in his head and go, well, it's actually worth it if I just buy it for 45 billion. Um, th because uh, Tesla is registered in Delaware, they actually, the Delaware court actually have ownership, well, not ownership, but they have access to his uh, shares and they can actually take his shares and physically give them to uh, uh, Twitter as uh, as compensation and then force him to buy it so it's it's not like he can just run from this because he can the, uh, the Delaware court can actually take his assets and just pay for it the deal anyway so um, this is scary this is you know if it's done that way it's all done at once and that's even worse because the idea of Twitter, uh, the Twitter Bibles that you might uh, cascade them off and, and make it like a soft landing, if you will. But Delaware will just take it and they will they will kick it out. And um, yeah, this is worrying. This 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 could cause a, a whole lot more than just the Tesla crash. And uh, yeah, I think that's the last thing we're going to say. But let's talk about a real company now, um, ASML. <laughs> um, ASML released its earnings today this morning and uh, didn't look good. Uh, revenue was down 10%. Sales growth will, will be down 10% in the year. Um, any initial reactions from you guys or do you want to read out a few more numbers because I don't actually have them in front of me. I thought I did. Uh, I've got the numbers if you want. So um, revenue was 5.43 billion. So that that was actually at the higher end of their guidance. The, the sales growth was from their... Their, um, their actual next quarter guidance. But gross margin was 49.1%. That was the lower end of the guidance. Op margin of 30.4. I mean, Steve, that's that's software margins, isn't it? Um, EUV units, I've got it down as being 12. Paul, you've got it down as yeah. 15. One of us is right. Um, and third quarter 2022 uh, guidance, they were saying 5.1 to 5.4 billion. That implies sales growth of 10% uh, rather than 20%. Uh, the market initially reacted fairly poorly to this, but I think it's it's uh, it sort of evened itself evened itself out. Um, what's well, fast shipping, this is Paul? The important part, isn't it? And this is why I bought on the opening. Uh, it dropped what a couple of percent, didn't it? Something like that, and I went. Ooh, I think mm -hmm. the market's missed something here. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't put loads in. I only put about 200 quid in or something. But I, it was fairly obvious at that point that the market had seen the numbers and not realized what the numbers uh, actually meant. So fast shipping would be the... SML have been struggling to get the uh, machines out quick enough. So what they've decided that rather than doing the tests in-house and keeping them for an extra six months, they would ship them out to the user and then they would eventually um, just kind of tease out the problems while they're, at, while they're at service. This has meant that 
the end user, the, the customer, has had a little bit of time to have a bit of a play with the system and see if it works until they fully accept it, which means that they don't take any money until that customer has fully accepted uh, the EUV machine, which means what? There's revenue coming next year, and that's the important part, and that's what the market missed in that initial bit of panic, and that has, that is the reason why I'm now 5% up on ASML today. I, I, I think I bought in about like 496 today, and it's a, it, last time I checked, it's like 515. I was like, oh, you did so you did some good old work there, Mr. Briscoe. I, I saw it coming, and I thought, oh, this is good. But the um, the earnings call was even better. Uh, you got any more you wanted to say on that? Well, I was just going to say it's it's an important thing because I think there's around a hundred hundred thousand components in 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 their lithography machine. So there's going to be something that breaks. There's going to be something that probably doesn't arrive in in the uh, sort of shape that it it, it was originally sent out in. So uh, testing on site and testing in the foundry. I don't think that makes a massive difference. ASML has a lot of boots on the ground anyway, running around engineering. Uh, so this isn't a problem for any of our any of our margins. They've already said that they think the margins are going to improve. Uh, I was looking at Goldman Sachs's model um, before uh, I came on, and they're still modeling for a uh, 50% increase in revenue uh, over the next, I think it was by 2024 to 25 year. So uh, ASML is going to be a much bigger company uh, by, the, by then anyway. But um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting report. I've skim read it. I don't tend to read too much into ASML's <laughs> reports because it's it's a very sort of steady it's, it's, company, it's, really. Um, it's one of those ones lot, where a lot of... it's like a Microsoft, right, five years ago, where you kind of go, it's just going to keep doing, I, I think, it, unless something really big comes out to really ruin our lives, um, ASML is still going to be a component in my brain that keeps the world running. Um, they've been talking to their customers a little bit who still seem to want to buy things, but they said that, uh, automotive parts, which is really, really, really big part of it because uh, they can use these machines to just churn out really like quite low quality, if that's if that's how you want to look at it, quite low quality chips to go into cars and, and just keep them trundling along. But they are, a bit, they said they might see a slowdown in phones and laptops, which was quite a bit of an issue. Um, it, it, is that because of inflation and because the people... They think that people are going to hold on to their phones and their laptops a little bit longer. Um, you know, I haven't got as much money right now, so maybe I won't upgrade as quick as possible, as quick as I usually do. And that could have an effect on, obviously, designers and uh, foundries, and then that then has, may have an effect on ASML. ASML doesn't think that's going to affect it, by the way, because they've still got a hundred percent run rate on uh, their orders, which is absolutely crazy. This is the reason why we're, we're invested in. Uh, ASML, um, but semi—that's that's the worry. The worry is they are loosely um, uh, related to semiconductor design and foundries. Um, if that slows down, then maybe their orders will slow down. I think that ASML is largely uh, insulated from that. I was trying to figure out what I think the main risk of this company. Are. I'm the only one who doesn't own it yet because I don't currently back, or at least until. I don't know, about five hours ago when I started trying to do the research for this thing. I didn't particularly back my understanding of this enough to understand what its moat looks like because I, I tried to learn about DUVs and EUVs and various other things and it seems like quite a complicated process. It's hard to understand. I'm happy to take it on faith for the moment that the big disrupting thing won't be some other company comes out with a 
better way of designing or building machines for writing on chips than uh, ASML. I'm okay with the idea that Moat's basically impenetrable for the moment. So something like Nikon and Canon and the other would-be competitors are in the dust. Fine. Um, that leads me to wonder about something like... The story I keep hearing about the US complaining about exporting these machines to China... And the reason that worries me fairly obviously for ASML, just for the people who are back at my kind of level of research on this, ASML only has about five customers because these machines cost so damn much. And their customers, I think, are Micron, Samsung, SK Hynix, Intel, and Taiwan Semi. Uh, and if you say you can't uh, export these to uh, China or Far East generally, uh, that looks to me like it might take away a fair bit of ASML's market. And I don't see Intel picking up that slack because these machines are too expensive, uh, basically. So I'm interested in your thoughts on the likelihood of that happening, because it's the main thing that, or the only thing that I can really see slowing down ASML's business here. Well, the answer to that is that basically in America, they're currently trying to move fabrication out there. So <laughs> you're going to have Intel. Um, Intel have already got orders in for the high NA um, EUV machines, which aren't even released yet. And then there's Global Founders as well, which I don't think you mentioned on no, the customer report. Uh, and there's also TSM, uh, TSMC. They're building in Arizona, I believe. They're building a, an absolutely massive facility, uh, probably bigger than Intel's as well. So there's still a lot of demand for uh, this kind of thing. I, I don't think China's a massive problem. They've, ASML has never been able to send its top-end technology to um, China. It's always been a generation or two behind um, just because of previous uh, previous chips. The technology is actually uh, somewhat American mm. if you look back at the history of it, um, but it was... Uh, it was like co-developed um, and then for somehow managed to find its way into a tiny town in uh, uh, in, in the Netherlands. So I don't think China is a massive problem. I think China is a couple of generations behind. I don't think um, I have any issues with the strengthening on, on, on the lack of selling to China. I think other places will pick up. I think people's most common issue with ASML is the sort of common issue that they see with Taiwan semiconductors uh, is that there's always that threat of China war uh, or China trying to reclaim Taiwan. That would be a that would be a decent hit onto ASML's business because, as you know, Taiwan semiconductors is a big customer uh, of, of ASML's. But generally speaking, Intel wants to be a fabricator. Intel uh, well, wants to be more of a fabricator, wants to uh, fabricate higher quality chips. The only place they can go, and it literally is the only place they can go for this I machine. They also own ASML. ASML, right? Everybody does. They, they did own a massive part of ASML, but they sold they it. got together and sort of created this. The, they did it at one point. Intel owned nearly thirty percent of ASML, and they got rid of it way, way ago, like like uh, yeah. 20, 20, 20 billion, uh, some of that kind of market so cap. They, they shipped uh, off quite ASML's a bit of it. Installation to China is the same reason for the risk to ASML. Uh, so the first, the first one, which is really easy off the top of it, is uh, inspection equipment. Inspection equipment isn't as uh, hard to uh, replicate and it's partly why I own KLA as well, because KLA is its near ASML's nearest customer. Like I have to get KLA in there. It's, uh, that that's where it is. But um, the reason I think, if even if uh, some replicator in China did get a hold of one of the top generation machines, it would take a hell of a lot of time to replicate it. They, by the time that they would replicate that, ASML would already be on the next stage, and it also they they would also require a lot of parts that are made in-house 
and also a lot of parts that can only be made by certain company. Carl Zeiss is what stick, uh, sticks out in my mind. There's nowhere in China that can make optics as good as Carl Zeiss right now. But that's also a bad thing for ASML in the same way. So uh, while that would be a very good insulator against it against China, Carl Zeiss might also look at those gross margins and go, hold on, you've got a lot of spare money there. Maybe we can raise our prices a little bit. And that's going to be a big problem. So all of these companies, because they do make some other parts in-house, but a lot of it does come out from other places like that. And uh, yeah, margin squeezing based on other companies wanting, wanting a bite of the pie might be a problem. They're actually further insulated from that because they own the uh, optics division of Calzis, and they also own they own quite a lot of mm. their supply chain. They're quite vertically integrated, and where they're not vertically yeah. integrated, they actually own parts of the companies that they deal with. Just in order, just in order to get a, a consistent supply. I mean, when you're talking about uh, needing a hundred thousand parts to make one of these machines, and they're shipping like like nine or ten huge uh, shipping um, containers. Um, when they got there, they're about when they when they're fully assembled, they're about the size of a double decker bus. Um, so these things are these things are big units. And if you think if you're a manufacturer and you're getting a hundred thousand units, a uh, hundred thousand different parts in to build your double decker bus, uh, you're going to want to have really really good control over your supply chain. So yeah, you could you could make one of these. You could you could replicate this. You could get the machine and you could replicate it. But what you couldn't replicate overnight is the supply chain. Uh, and that's ASML's biggest moat, and it's sort of hidden in the background, is that, you know, these machines, somebody could reverse engineer. If you're a smart enough guy, you could reverse engineer what these machines are doing. What you couldn't reverse engineer is the scale and the supply chain. And and I just think that's protected yeah, for absolutely. at least a decade. Yeah, I think uh, Morningstar would probably put 30 years on that as a wide moat. They? They, Morningstar has a very specific wide moat means no, no disruption within 30 years, and then Narrow moat means ten years, basically, which is quite a quite you know to have a wide moat rating is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, that's that's Twitch ASML. The the only downside with buying it right now is valuation, right? I don't know what the PE ratio is on it right now, but I imagine it's high. Thirty two ish. I just think it's always going to be high. I think ASML is just going to be one of those companies right now that is always going to be high. This is the Johnson and Johnson of the semiconductor world. I'm surprised you didn't mention the, the big change. The big change. Uh, even I know what the big change is, and I don't own it. No, uh, they're now going to start paying on, the dividends quarterly. I think that's what you mean, Steve. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it. They, they changed the dividend round. Have they frozen it? Uh, I don't know what they've done to it. I just know it's now coming quarterly rather than half yearly, which was revealed to me on Twitter because I said I thought they were already paying it <laughs> no, quarterly. I had no idea it was half yearly. I've I just never paid attention, never paid to, attention to, to this. Did, and it had the cash flow to do this it. Dividend. So I didn't know how often it came. But yeah, that was a that was a big surprise to me. I, I saw something. I think it was on dividend shots on Instagram that told me that. But I I, I thought they've. The news, the news wasn't like all singing and dancing, so I thought there was some negative news in there. So it must have been that it was going to quarterly. There you go. What a big deal. <laughs> mm. Anyway, thank you very much for watching and listening to the Playing Footsie podcast. Uh, I've been Bouncer Briscoe, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>